This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. 8.44 a.m. on this Monday, December 24th. Happy Christmas Eve, dear. And thank you so much for tuning in to the morning run. Han and Julian keeping you company all the way till 10 a.m. this morning. Time to talk business. And let's talk about a theme that has stayed with us for much of this year. The overhang in the property space. Now, Malaysia is set to enter 2019 with over 30,000 unsold completed residential units. And that's an increase of nearly 50% compared to the 20,000 plus units that we saw in 2017. So in terms of the value of these properties, about uh, comes up to about 20 billion ringgit, and that's over 50% from last year. Um, and uh, this is not all. If you actually include the other um, unsold property like service apartments and small offices, home offices, otherwise known as Soho's, uh, that number jumps from 20,000 units to about 41,000 unsold units valued at about 27 billion, uh, about 7 billion ringgit more than the 20 billion of mm. uh, just uh, the uh, uh, property um Residential units. Yeah. yeah. So now looking at the price points for the bulk of this overhang, this is pretty interesting as well because uh, a lot of these actually priced above half a million ringgit. Uh, so about half or so of the 30,000 units that are available on the market uh, are priced above 500,000 ringgit each. So with this oversupply, and obviously, you know, the question is uh, not just once again, do you uh, buy or rent, but then also, you know, are the policy measures adequate because you've got the government and the Real Estate Housing Developers Association, or RIDA, they are planning to launch a national home ownership campaign in January. Um, this last largely rests on uh, just waiving the stamp duty. I don't know whether it's, uh, this is enough to spur mm. home buying in Malaysia. I don't think so. I think that uh, Malaysian house prices are largely going to be affordable. I mean, there are a slew of reports saying that you know, we have the most unaffordable homes uh, anywhere in the world, and that's measured by home prices versus the annual take-home pay. Uh, and that's like in Klang Valley, at least to the extent of four or five times the pay. And so it remains beyond the reach of many Malaysians or many Klang Valley people uh, in spite of the waivers. Uh, the waivers. Yeah, so it's not just in a policy measures aimed that I think you got the Minister of Finance who talked about, yeah, you know, he wants developers to lower their prices by 10%, you know, given the waivers on SST. Do that or else. So you got the MOF waving this big stick. But it's not just the price point, right? It's also the income levels of Malaysians whether or not wage growth is rising in tandem, not just with the rising cost of living, but also the uh, upward trajectory for property prices, at least historically looking. Granted, it's been quite subdued that the growth of property prices you know, over the last couple of years, I uh, wouldn't, uh, some might even say there's no growth also, right? But whether or not it's enough to reduce that gap between where the price points are versus how much you're actually making. I don't know whether policy is barking up the wrong tree because so much resources is uh, dedicated to just ownership at all costs. Why should mm. you buy something when uh, and you can't afford uh, when you can just rent, right? So rental is a lot cheaper than buying outright because there are a lot of costs associated to buying a property. It's not only the down payment, it's the legal fees, it's the renov- renovation costs, mm. uh, it's uh, you know the you maintenance costs, the maintenance, the maintenance yeah. costs mm-hmm. and everything. So uh, why not just rent? And all these unsold properties, I mean, it suggests to you that something is wrong somewhere because uh, if you can't sell the property uh, that 
means the price is not right, and which means that you got to lower prices, right? So uh, the kind of pricing that we see now in the property sector is not reflective of market clearing prices. Like mm. we see in the stock market every day, uh, you know, there's one price that clears the buyer and the seller. Right. So if you want to clear all these unsold property, you either got to sell them at the market clearing price or you got to rent them out. Right. But Julian, you know, obviously we know that this requires a paradigm shift in the way Asians and uh, Malaysians think, right? Because for so long, uh, generation after generation, we've just been fed this narrative that home ownership, that is the holy grail that you aspire to, right? And so, you know, to make people uh, more open... Why do you to- think that's the case? Yeah, I have no idea. No, I mean, what what is the... I, I guess the, uh, but the benefit behind owning a property is that you own an asset, right? right. Uh, and there is this mis- misconception that if you paid rent, you wouldn't have an asset. But that's not true because uh, the, the cost of property ownership uh, is so high that if you rent, you can actually invest the, the difference in the cost and mm. still you know, accumulate assets. Right. But once again, uh, that requires a, a relatively totally. higher... Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, no, it requires a relatively higher level of financial literacy than to know what you invest in as opposed to, again, we've just been fed this narrative or you got one property, buy another one. So I'll give you an example. When I was in the States, most of my friends buy that one house, you're good. You're done, right? Here in Malaysia, fine. I bought one property. Next question is, oh, you got condo. Okay, now you go get a landed property. You know, that's that's the idea of diversification, right? So, yeah, I mean, and also whether you like it or not, property has become so politicized, not just in Malaysia, but around the world as well. And so you've got the government who's then prompted to roll out these policies to gain those political points, as opposed to trying to change these mindsets, which takes you know probably a generation at least. But with it, well, as it stands right now, in the near term, we have this property overhang to contend with. It's across the peninsula, you know, Johor, all the way up to Penang and pretty much everywhere else in between. Obviously, very pronounced here in the uh Valley. And uh, the other related story is uh, regarding PNB's uh, real estate. Uh, the PNB 118, which is uh, slated uh, for completing uh, quite soon, uh, to be delivered in three years. Mm. So speaking about overhang, not just in the residential sector, but also in the office space as well, perhaps exacerbated by PNB 118 coming online. Uh, but when, uh, if and when it gets completed, or rather I should say when it gets completed, PNB, along with their subsidiaries or their units, they plan to take up about half of the total uh, uh, square f- uh, footage in the world's third tallest building. Massive. 1.65 million square feet uh, is slated uh, to come out, out of this building, which costs about 5 billion ringgit. Um, and it's uh, set to surpass Petronas t- Twin Towers as Malaysia's tallest building. And incidentally, this is going to be the third tallest building in the world, the first being the Burj Khalifa in Dubai at about 2,700 feet, and the Shanghai Tower in China, number two. And so number three is PNB 118. All right. So we've spoken about residential, we've spoken about office, we got to look at retail malls as well. So once again, uh, that oversupply there, that is a theme in uh, when it comes to retail malls as well. So Malaysia currently has about 560 malls around the country. That comes up to some 135 million square feet. That's a whole lot of space. And uh, if you just uh, focus on the Klang Valley, so there's this report from Knight Frank uh, and its real estate highlights. Uh, there are about uh, Klang Valley has a cumulative supply of 57.5 million square feet uh, in the first half. And at the end of uh, 
2016, there were 255 malls in the Klang Valley. So out of that 560 in Malaysia, uh, half of that, uh, almost half of that is in the Klang Valley. If you divide that by the number of people in the Klang Valley, you're talking about about eight square feet uh, per capita mall space uh, for Klang Valley. So if you are bored tomorrow and you've got no plans, <laughs> go out there to a retail or to a shopping mall and stake your claim on that grand total of eight square feet per resident. I mean, and that's assuming, use of it. Yeah, and that's assuming all 7.2 million, every man, woman, child goes out there and, you know, plants a flag in that eight square feet. Okay, so we've spoken about, yeah, um, not just uh, retail malls, um, um, uh, office space and residential property. There's an overhang uh, across these various segments as well. So once again, you know, coming back to the idea of you know, policy, right? So what will the government do to try and uh, reduce this mismatch here? We'll have to wait and see going into 2019. Do you think it's the government's job to clear the mismatch? I, well, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, Okay, yeah, look, uh, personally, if markets can actually be left to do its own thing, then sure. But I think given the protracted nature of this oversupply, I think there has to be some intervention on, on some level. But broadly speaking, I would love it if markets can do their own correcting. Yeah, I mean, if it corrects, then uh, property will become more affordable and then you have a fix to the problem, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you? But well, but then, you know, then the the winners and the losers, their gains and losses will be more pronounced, right? As opposed to then the government, if they in, in, if they intervene, then at least they can cushion the blow somewhat mm. one way or the other. I'd like uh, the government to cushion my business when uh, it <laughs> makes losses. But yeah. I, I, I guess I, I see your point in the sense that uh, you must be very wary of it becoming a systemic problem. Mm. If there is uh, too much property overhang, which then goes on to domino into the banking sector, uh, that's what we've got to be careful of. Uh, I, I think the, the crisis, the subprime crisis mm-hmm. in 2008, still fresh in most of our minds. Malaysia is far from that uh, right now. So I am of the school of thought that the government really doesn't have to um, intervene too much in the property sector. In fact, they've got to focus on the other things, you know, like uh, education, mm-hmm. um, you know, anti-corruption measures. Yeah and so on. Your, your good old economic fundamentals there. Right? Yeah. All right. Uh, but then uh, with the little time that we have left, let's also talk about uh, PNB's diversification uh, plans for next year. I mean, keep in mind about 70% of their uh, portfolio is in equities and looks like diversification is very much on the cards going into 2019. So they hold some pretty major um, mm-hmm. listed companies here in Malaysia. Maybank, which is the, the biggest bank in Malaysia, uh, PNB has a major stake there uh, and also uh, big ones uh, like Sime Darby and so on. Uh, these are the so-called GSC, uh, GLCs. I'm just wondering uh, the implication of the statement uh, by uh, PNB's chairperson, uh, which is Zeti, who's our ex-Bank uh, Negara governor. Mm-hmm. She's saying that uh, PNB should achieve some diversification, which of course is the correct policy for any portfolio. But PNB's portfolio is quite different because it's concentrated in some big holdings, right? Mm -hmm. So the um, implied question here is whether these strategic stakes will be sold off in bits and pieces, and what does it mean for the uh, GLCs, the relevant GLCs? Right, you know, so I think the idea here is that, you know, they can still maintain that high payout of dividends there. That's uh, one part of their mandate. But then also, you're right, you know, what will happen to the ownership structure for some of these GLCs? Now, we have seen some movement on that front. We look at what Kazana did with IHH. Uh, now, Mitsui has become the majority shareholder in uh, IHH, even with all the growth potential in the 
the health sector then. So is that a sign of more of such deals when it comes to, you know, the, the government of the day are pairing back their ownership in uh, corporate Malaysia and just in equity holdings? We'll wait and see. Uh, speaking about some recalibration here, we got to talk about budget 2019. Now, looking at oil prices and how they've been faring this quarter, uh, looks like the uh, Ministry of Finance may have to recalibrate budget 2019, keeping in mind that budget 2019 was based on about $70, $72 per barrel for Brent. But giving you some live prices right now, Brent futures are at $53.49. Far, far cry from the $85 levels that we saw in early October. Could a recalibration of budget 2019 be on the cards? I, I think it definitely needs to happen because uh, the budget had assumed $70 per barrel, US dollars per barrel, and right now it's 50 And don't forget that uh, Petronas has also, um, there's a one-off special dividend that's uh, assumed in the budget uh, to the tune of about 30 billion mm. uh, and this is to go somewhere to offset the loss of GST revenue uh, remember we collected about 40 billion uh, GST revenue before uh, when that system was in a full uh, full fledge but uh, now it's being replaced by the SST which only contributes uh, 20 billion so mm. that that uh, that slack is being picked up by Petronas now how long can Petronas sustain this That's if right. oil prices have uh, come to such levels? And not only is it's not a, just a case of the oil prices and OPEC trying to manage prices by cutting supply, right? It's also about alternatives being used. Like China, the biggest con- consumer of energy in the, in the world, uh, apart from the US, I mean, it's, they're, they're going a full blast into wind power and mm-hmm. solar energy and all that. Yeah, so they're achieving more efficiencies with the industrial technology. Now, on top of that, you, it's against this backdrop of slower economic growth around the world expected for 2019. That implies that demand for oil could wane going into next year as well, right? So question marks over not just the price of oil, uh, but you're right there, Julian, in pointing out, you know, what does this do for Petronas in the long run? You've got uh, Moody's, which in November had already changed Petronas' outlook to negative from stable. This following the announcement of them contributing that special one-off dividend of 30 billion ringgit for next uh, Next year, so you know it's various stakeholders that the government has to take into consideration. Not just the government's own fiscal standing, not just Petronas's, but also the motorists here as well. Now, looking at how oil prices have fared, it is uh, far from the seventy-plus uh, dollar level that we saw around GE fourteen. So essentially, over the last uh, couple of months or so. Uh, it looks like you know we have been paying this tax on raw ninety five prices, given that raw ninety five has been unchanged at two ringgit and twenty cent a share. So where to from here? Not just in terms of budget twenty nineteen recalibration, Petronas's coffers, and then ultimately for you and me and all you listening right now, raw ninety five prices. Where are they going to head to next year? We'll wait and see. Okay, we're coming up to the nine a.m. news bulletin, and after that, we'll give you some live numbers on the local boards on this Christmas. Eve. Stay tuned for that right here on the morning run on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to BFM.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.